Hello and welcome to the podcast series The Four Pillars, designed for allied health professionals, students, non-registered assistant practitioners and all associated learners. This short series is designed to open the lid on the themes related to continuous professional development and we will meet and discuss hot topics with a variety of AHP leaders, practitioners, researchers and learners on how they manage to advance their practice and that of those around them. My name is Dougie Laughlin and this podcast series is sponsored and supported by Glasgow Caledonian University and is designed to support learners undertaking the GCU post-registration master's module in advancing professional practice. Whether you are a registered AHP developing your personal development profile or a non-registered assistant practitioner developing your career towards becoming a registered AHP, we hope this will be of interest to you. The podcast series will introduce you to the contemporary thoughts on CPD and much of the content in each podcast will be themed to align to the four pillars of practice as outlined by many professional bodies and healthcare organisations. Each week I will introduce you to a different guest who I feel captures the desired qualities in the respective fields which highlight what it means to develop practice. I hope that by exploring these topics you will gain a personal insight into how you can develop yourself and your practice. My first guest in this podcast series is Claire Vray, who is currently Interim Head of Health and Social Care in South Lanarkshire Health and Social Care Partnership. She is responsible for overseeing the health and social care services within the south of Lanarkshire. Claire qualified in 1998 and started as a rotational junior physio as a band five within the NHS GGC at the Victoria Firmary at Glasgow, where she progressed within a couple of years onto a rotational senior two post, which is a band six nowadays, and then went on to specialise within orthopaedics becoming a senior one. She then had a sideways move as a senior one into the orthopaedic department at the Southern General in 2005, and with various organisational changes became the band seven team lead for orthopaedics within South Glasgow. That covered the Victoria Infirmary and the Southern General. She worked for 10 years within that team lead role within Glasgow before moving to NHS Lanarkshire in 2015 to become the physiotherapy site lead at the University Hospital in Wishaw, following which she took up her substantive position as head of service within physiotherapy in 2018. At that role, she was responsible for the delivery of physiotherapy services within NHS Lanarkshire. What Claire does is that she does what she does to make a difference. So um, welcome, Claire, to our podcast, The Four Pillars. It's great to have you join us. Thank you. Um, So what I'm going to start off with is really just a more personal question about you and your CPD. And it's, it's really just what has driven you personally in your own CPD? So, and, and having a think about that, it's quite a difficult one because there's a number of things that have driven me personally, I suppose. Just my personality is that I want to be the best version of myself. So, you know, and in that, it's that best possible job so that you're 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 here to make a difference. You know, that's my big driver is that I'm here to make a difference. So within my job, within all the job roles that I've been in, I want to actually make a difference. So I want to leave a job and feel that I've made you know, done something different, made outcomes better. Um, and I think, you know, the knowledge that you get from professional development, CPD gives you 
that ability to do that, I suppose. Um, personality wise, I'm curious. So, you know, curiosity um, does get the better of me a lot of the time. So I want to know, I want to understand. Um, so that definitely drives me. And I suppose that professional growth as well. So keen to to progress in my career and actually in, ter in terms of being able to do that successfully um, that has driven me around about my, my professional development and, and you've been very successful in that I must and say it, as well you've, you yeah. know that's 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 testament to you and that drive to, uh -huh. to do that and and see do you know something Dougie in terms of when I first came out and qualified I would never have thought in a million years that I would be going to the position you know that I've, I now desire to be in um, it, it's just come over the years so it's not that I'm naturally ambitious I think it just goes back to that fact of wanting to make a difference and yes. actually in these positions you have more ability to influence um, so that's my my biggest driver around about it and ultimately I've worked with great people and, and worked in great cultures that have embraced and yes. I've been really lucky to have been encouraged to develop and you know directed down the right routes of development we'll maybe touch a wee bit more but we'll let you elaborate on that maybe a little bit more maybe later on when we look at yep. your particular role and, and we look at you know what this means to you not just as a leader but also as a, a manager of staff and, and consider possibly that, that there's a role for you to play in their development and Absolutely. enable that and facilitate that as well. Uh, still on the kind of personal kind of kind of thoughts around about CPD, was there ever a, a specific incident or a moment that made you think, you know, just I can do better than this? And I know you always want to make a difference and you've said that, but was there something that you can allow the listeners just to hang a, your hat on, just a, an, an incident or an example that you just thought, do you know what, this could have been better? Yeah, and again, probably a few, but the one that sticks out is I was, um, again, through sort of development and encouragement to go down the route of um, developing my professional skill set in orthopaedics, because that was my clinical background, was to join the, the Scottish uh, National Hip Fracture Steering Group, so moving to that kind of national level. And actually, I remember the first few meetings um, within that, and obviously getting your headspace around about what we're actually trying to achieve here. Mm -hmm. um, having that balcony view right and actually yeah. sitting there so I was the professional rep on that group from a physio perspective it was a multi-professional steering group and actually thinking do you know what our profession can do better in this mm -hmm. field yeah down to research down to evidence base down to leadership do you know and, and down to the clinical kind of expertise within that field mm -hmm. so actually there was a whole host of things and do you know that there's definitely been times that I could go through that you know, from a personal perspective, I think I could do better, but I think it's the we could do better. But with that turning point in terms of sitting on that balcony view as a national group, looking at across Scotland, not just within the board you're working in and actually thinking, yeah, we can do better than this. Yeah, I agree. I agree that it's a privileged position to get to and not all of us get to that position in our roles. But I think when you get an opportunity to look across not just across different health boards or across different sectors, but as you say, across different professions, we can yeah. sometimes learn because I think culturally, from a professional cultural point of view, AHPs, as much as we're classified in the same group, we are sometimes quite different in the way in which we think through things. And I think, in my experience, similar to yours, 
listening to, you know, somebody's interpretation of a problem through their specific lens as an OT or a podiatrist or speech and language therapist, it can sometimes be slightly different from the interpretation that I've got as a physio. So yeah. I, I think that sharing of the minds and sharing of the, the kind of the problem and the mm -hmm. interpretation of what that problem is can be really helpful. So it doesn't always need you to be at that kind of national strategic level. Sometimes no. just sharing these ideas across your peers can can sometimes be really helpful. But, but as, I suppose if you're pinning it down to, yeah. you know, that's a good example where I'm thinking, actually, we could do a lot better. And I think it goes back to what you're saying. It doesn't need to be a national group. It's that, that multi-professional balcony view aspect of it and actually understanding that we're all in it for the same outcome yeah. and actually it's to improve the patient's outcome in in that journey and actually hip fracture was a great one because it's a tracer condition that you know you can replicate that in a lot of areas so it's absolutely sure. right you're saying that you know not everybody gets to that national level but it's sitting on that balcony view working and, and seeing it through a different lens and actually working together seeing how we can do things differently how we can do things better to get a, a better outcome well, that we're all great. signed up to we are all signed up to, and, and and you're signed up to also overlooking these guys as well as they come through, and and you employ them, you develop them, they, they maybe leave you, they maybe come back, you maybe re-recruit a lot so of your lovely. staff because they've gone away as well. But thinking about your the CPD of your staff, and and mm -hmm. why do you think CPD is so important for staff development, your service? Is it important the AHP spread that development? more than just on the clinical pillar because I think is and I, and I was very much that where I want to be the best version of myself clinically and I didn't always appreciate the value of the other three pillars is that something that you would push with your staff absolutely because I think again you know if you come brand new out the packet you're thinking that clinical kind of route you're thinking that's your clinical expertise that is your role but you very quickly kind of realise that, you know, working collaboratively within different professions. So if you're working in a multi-professional team, which we often do, do you know, there's a bit of leadership that's involved in that in terms of, you know, if there's difficult decision making, there's leadership involved in that. Risk management, there's leadership involved in that. Do you know, the fact that we need to, we're bound to deliver evidence-based practice, do you know, if we don't do, if we don't look at that kind of research pillar and understand what that looks like, then we're not going to be able to deliver, you know, up-to-date, relevant, um, you know, interventions. And I suppose the education thing is around about, you know, the the actually developing staff and understanding how we share that knowledge, um, the ability actually to, to identify our own needs our own educational needs and meet them as well as our staff um, and, and across, you know, different professions as well. Just going back to that multi-professional aspect, it's educating everybody, isn't it? So yeah. absolutely, it needs to be that rounded picture. So it might be that you have got an advanced clinical practitioner post, but actually you need leadership, you need research, you need education aligned to that. I suppose it's just how much of each pillar do you need yes. so it might be that you the need balance. more of that clinical pillar mm -hmm. but actually you need to get the balance right for the rest no, of them so it's absolutely right. essential yeah it's something we pick up on quite a lot in, in the modules that we teach as well about this kind of sliding scale of value that's placed upon each of these four pillars dependent on your role but i think you know you make the point there that as soon as you come in the door you're, you're duty bound to to you know 
provide the best care and, and maybe that needs you to go and research and look at the practice and audit and and, and look at the, the service development that's actually there for you. What about culture? Because you spoke earlier about that and I, I think as a, a kind of a leader of staff, we, we, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you can shift that culture. Sometimes that culture is quite difficult to shift and to change and to manage. Uh, but, you know, is that something that you're looking for within your teams? So I would say coming into the position that I'm in, and I've been really lucky to work, as I said at the first um, sort of question, I've been really lucky to work in great cultures of, you know, growing staff, uh, being encouraged to develop. So I've kind of, I think as I've moved on, I want to provide that culture. Now, it's not to say that you just rock in and there's the culture's there already. No. Um, you have to work on it. But I think it is, it's, it's really pushing that, so if we if you're pushing staff development, you're push, pushing the fact that you value them. You're mm-hmm. pushing the fact that they're recognised, the profession's recognised, their job roles recognised. There's the whole thing around about job satisfaction. Do you know, if we can develop staff and, and empower them with knowledge and skills, then actually they're going to be able to do a better job and be able to walk away with more job satisfaction around about it and ultimately help their own well-being around about that. So... I think it's driving that aspect of what the benefits are to then create the cultures, you know, that actually the learning and development and, you know, there's no, there's no wrong answers. And, you know, I think it's that sort of psychological safe element of we want to know where your gaps are. We want to support you. We want to understand. We want to be able to ultimately provide the best service and provide the best environment for you to work in. So, yeah. What is it that we can do to actually to do that? And, th- and that's regular supervision, do you know, that we constantly talk about. And, and I've been in places where you don't get regular supervision, um, do you know, but it's I'm a big fan of, you know, six weekly supervision, one to ones where you're actually it's, it's the supervisee that leads it. Um, and, you know, you're talking about their own development as well as what they're accountable for, but yes. their development, their well-being and that all comes into it. So. You know, that culture, I think, grows itself naturally when these, you know, things are in place. And, and, and um, of course, you know, that's something that you aspire to. And, but there are, these are pressured times at the moment. And, and we have to recognise that maybe staff aren't being able to take their head up to see what could be there because the head's down and it's working and it's meeting the demands that are being placed upon them. And I, th- I suppose it's trying to yes absolutely aspire to that culture but try to put things in place is has it been quite a struggle with that since the pandemic have you found that staff have been sometimes a little bit too head down instead of head up a bit or is that Mm. something that is it happening in pockets maybe it does happen in pockets and i think it's really interesting in terms of you know when the pandemic hit and the demand was on supervision is one of the first things that gets papped to the side and actually the, the biggest thing that needs to stay is that supervision aspect well, that and that kind of support around about yeah. individuals. So there has been a bit of work around that. Um, yeah. And I think we have changed the culture. So the, the current board that I work in, I would say we've changed the culture within the physio yeah. service that actually this is this is priority. Do you know, and actually if we get that right, we get a better, you know, it goes back to what you were saying around about the service. So we get a more efficient, a more productive service, a more innovative service where staff are actually feeling more engaged. They're more knowledgeable in what the right things are to do and and what, you know, maybe 
and not dead wood, but the stuff that can be maybe stop doing or do differently. That's right. Absolutely. Um, and I think you know, ultimately it's about, you know, and I, and I hate this term because, you know, it gets bandied about in times of pressure, but we need to work smarter. And it's not about always just working smarter. It's actually just about appraising the things that we do and demonstrating the things that we do that produce value, not just to us, but also to our service users, because they're the end they're the end recipient of all this work Absolutely. that we're doing. Absolutely. And sometimes it is just a bit about repraising, uh, almost like what we used to do in clinical terms, you know, what must we do? What should we do? What could we do? And I think that kind of prioritising of roles and and sometimes actions and activities is really important. And having a safe place to talk about that provides that safe culture so that people can feel like that. Certainly my experience of culture and, and good working cultures is where that the hierarchy are respected, but there's also a flatness to the way in which these questions can be raised. So, you know, raising points about, you know, do you think we could do this any differently? Or I'm not too sure I'm doing this as well as we could be. It's that raising the point, and it's not that you're raising complaints, but it's just having that feeling that you can have that grown-up discussion about, well, how do you think you could do it differently then? Yeah, and... and, and yeah, we quite often actually do kind of sessions where, do you know, I don't know if there's a particularly pressured area or something that's kind of consistently coming up as a bit of a problem for staff, whether it's what they're dealing with and how they deliver the service or, you know, we're just not meeting demand, for example. It's almost getting a group of people together and saying, like, here's your wicked problem. You tell me how we're going to solve this because you are the people sure. that are in the know, do you know, Absolutely. quite often. Um, and I'm, and I, that and I'm absolutely creating that environment. Yeah. And that value is their input straight away. It's like saying, you know, yeah, I'm here as a manager, but actually you know the problems more inside out because you're working in this situation. So you please inform me so I can help support you in making the decision forward. No, I agree. That's, yeah. it's, it's good skill sets. So. Yeah. And then hopefully the, they catch yeah. on. Yeah. I think there is one thing, though, in terms of you know, the different kind of bandings, for example, in physio, and we've talked about this before in, in other conversations, but actually kind of standardising what is that professional development that we should be kind of guiding, I'm not saying it's set in stone, but guiding staff to have. So going right from your unregistered band yes. two, because we don't have anything less than that in physio here, but band two, right up to your, your band eight Bs that we've got yeah. at HP consultant level. And actually, what is it? that one we should be kind of aiming for and what is available um, and I suppose it goes back to what you were saying about the programs and what you know if we had x amount of people looking to be going through a master's then that might help but we don't have that in place as, as yet. But there are other but this is the bit about bringing our heads up and hopefully these you know, the, the podcast series will alert everybody that's listening to this multidisciplinary approach that there are other areas not outside the HPs, but within the HPs that are doing this better. So yep. physio, we maybe have got elements that we're doing well. And I think mm -hmm. our top advanced practitioner level, I think absolutely we're doing that well at the moment. But possibly yep. we need to look at other areas where 
bringing through the unregistered staff could be something to be developed. I agree. But mm-hmm. it's the start of a conversation, isn't it? And we can't cure the world Absolutely. in half our podcast, but we'll do our best. We'll do our best. Absolutely. But I think, you know, going back to the individuals, I mean, if we, if the value and the recognition is there around about empowering people, providing the opportunity, providing the permission to do that kind of professional development and encourage it, then recruitment and retention is we'll much better. absolutely and you know in the end of the day it saves you money in the long run with re-advertising posts and the the hiatus that typically happens when somebody leaves to the point that it goes to get a new staff recruited advertising campaign period of you know interviews and then waiting for the successful applicant to serve their period of notice with their current employer i I know i've lived and breathed that and and you know you're Uh, You know yourself that if you hear of a board or a department, you know, whatever it is that is encouraging of, you know, development opportunities, growing their own, it's a much more attractive place to be applying than it would be for for other areas that maybe don't prioritise that aspect. Um, So it's huge. So listen, let's be positive about CPD as much as it can be challenging at times, given these current pressures of the pandemic and the pressures in service. What aspect of CPD do you enjoy the most? Are you it's a probably been, yeah. Are you a doer? I'm, I'm probably a doer. Um, in fact, not probably. I'm, I'm definitely a doer. So the, the theory and the reading side of things, it's not that I don't uh, embrace that because clearly it needs done, but I think it's, it's doing the do, so it's putting it into practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's probably the the kind of the best part of professional development from myself and being pushed out with that comfort zone so actually yeah. you know learning new skills and new knowledge and then the, the good bit is putting it into practice yes. um, and actually seeing the outcome so you know all the kind of for example the leadership stuff I've done so that leadership pillar I think it does help change culture and then you, you, when you see that change in, there's nothing more satisfying than that. I think, you know, we look at all these different elements of learning styles and learning style preferences and whether you're a theorist or a reflector or a pragmatist or, a, a you know, if you like doing things and experiencing things. I suppose there's, there should be a little bit of everything in all of us in that. But I think we naturally migrate towards things that give us that sense of fulfilment. And I think, you know, by doing and acting and seeing it work, that is quite gratifying, quite, you know, in your face. And I think it's an important thing to have that confidence in learners that they do actually see the benefit of and the rewards from the input and the investment that they make on their learning. And and sometimes, it, you know, reading lots and lots of stuff is great and you become very aware of what the theory is behind that. But that changes quickly as well. And, and you know, from my perspective as an academic, the, the, the truth sometimes lies between what happens in practice and the theory. And yeah. that's not to say what happens in practice is wrong, but sometimes the theory can guide that practice. But the theory sometimes isn't always right as well, because actually practice is evolving. We're learning more and the theory is dated as soon as it's published, because the the theory can be driven and influenced by that practice. So 
And absolutely, we need doers. We need people to go and read and learn. And we need that information to to almost happen, you know, in a collaborative way. But it's good to know that because the next question, our last question of the podcast is who benefits from CPD? And I think you've possibly answered this through some of the things that you've said already. But just in your words, uh, Claire Ray, who benefits from CPD? And I think in one word, everybody. So, you know, from the individuals, you know, themselves, whether you're a service user or a staff member, you know, right up to this kind of service, to the organisation, to that national picture, I think it benefits everybody because, you know, the more that we know, the more that we understand, the better that we can we can do, do you know, so it's. I think it's it's really simplistic from that perspective, and and you know in terms of it's not just the service user, it's the people that are important to them that it helps yeah. as well. Because if they get better outcomes, everybody else, you know, benefits yeah. from that as well. So, so well, it's massive, listen, isn't it? It is massive. But thank you so much for giving up your very precious time to help us understand a little bit more about what it is to do your role to have all these pressures, but also to keep your thoughts aside towards the continued professional development of not just yourself, but your staff. Wonderful. Thanks. And of course, you're our first guest in this podcast, believe it or not. Thank you, Doug. You know, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Thanks. Cheers. Well, thanks to Claire for that interesting insight into CPD and in her career. Next week, we will be looking at the first of our four pillars, which is the clinical pillar, and I will be joined by my guest, Claire Cardador. Claire is a speech and language therapist from Greater Glasgow and Clyde.